Hello, everyone, and welcome to Six Pack of Facts, the weekly way of expanding your brain six refreshing facts at a time. My name is Alex, and as we march closer to New Year's Eve, I'm shining the spotlight on two things that are sure to be on the minds of many. Time itself, and everyone's favorite effervescent way to get buzzed, champagne. Here we go. In the international system of units, created in 1967, there are seven from which all other measurements are used. Six of those are meter for length, kilogram for mass, ampere for electric current, kelvin for temperature, candela for luminous intensity, and mole for the amount of substance. The seventh is the unit that reigns supreme when it comes to measuring time, the humble second. While we commonly think of a second as a subdivision of other units derived from celestial movement, 24 hours in a single rotation of Earth, to 1,440 minutes, to 86,400 seconds, much more precise measurements using absolute atomic terms are used in the international system of units. According to that system, a second is, quote, the duration of 9,192,631,770 periods of the radiation corresponding to the transition between the two hyperfine levels of the ground state of the cesium-133 atom, end quote. That definition was made even more precise in 1997 by specifying a cesium atom at rest at a temperature of zero degrees Kelvin. Now, this might seem like overkill for an average person punching a few minutes into a microwave, but there is good scientific reason for the precision. Units of time based on celestial movements aren't constant. As the moon very, very slowly moves away from the Earth, its tidal influence lessens, causing the Earth to spin slightly slower. Moving back in time, the moon was much closer to Earth. Very early on in the Earth-Moon system's life, the satellite was only about a distance of three times the Earth's radius away from our planet. That means the Earth spun much faster, resulting in a day that was only about four hours long. 30,000 years later, that rotation slowed down, increasing the day to six hours. About 60 million years after that, the day was about 10 hours long. Interestingly, because the second is the base unit for time measurement, it gets both crunched down into subdivisions and multiplied to accurately measure ridiculously tiny and unbelievably long time spans. Some of these are nanosecond equal to 10 to the negative 9 seconds, attosecond equal to 10 to the negative 18 seconds, yoctosecond equal to 10 to the negative 24 seconds, a gigasecond equal to 10 to the 9th seconds, about 31.7 years, Exasecond equal to 10 to the 18th seconds, about 31.7 billion years, and a yada second equal to 10 to the 24 seconds, about 31.7 quadrillion years. Of course, these amazingly short and long time spans beg the question has anyone actually been able to measure any of these? In fact, yes. While most of these mind-blowing times have only been calculated and not directly measured, researchers actually measured the shortest time ever in October of 2020. The team shined particles of X-ray on hydrogen molecules and measured the resulting interference patterns from stray electrons using a device called a reaction microscope. Basically, 
They were measuring how long it takes a single photon to cross a single molecule of hydrogen. The result? 247 zeptoseconds. How long is that? Well, a single zeptosecond is a trillionth of a billionth of a second. That's a decimal point followed by 20 zeros and a one. So, very short. Time spans both tiny and huge can be tough to grasp. Knowing this, Cosmos host and all-around science megastar Carl Sagan developed the Cosmic Calendar. In this calendar, the beginning of time as we know it, the Big Bang, starts at midnight on January 1st. From there, time unfolds throughout the year, with events happening in proportional time chunks to their real-world lengths. On the Cosmic Calendar scale, one second is 438 years, a minute is roughly 26,000 years, an hour is 1.6 million years, and a day is 38 million years. It's an awesome lesson in perspective and a humbling look at just how minuscule the entirety of human existence is relative to the universe. Here are some notable entries in the cosmic calendar. January 1st, midnight, the Big Bang occurs. March 16th, the Milky Way galaxy forms. September 2nd, our solar system forms. December 5th, multicellular life appears. December 25th, dinosaurs appear. December 30th, Cretaceous Paleogene Extinction Event. Dinos die out. Now, if you noticed, it's almost already New Year's Eve on the cosmic calendar, and humans haven't even appeared on the scene yet. That's how tiny our era has been. Continuing on. December 31st, 11.52 p.m. Anatomically modern humans appear. December 31st, 11.59 and 49 seconds the first dynasty of Egypt. December 31st, 1159 and 59 seconds, the entirety of modern history, aka the last 437 and a half years. That's the entirety of known history sprawled out into a single year. But let's take it a step further and fast forward from that point using the same scale to December 31st of year two of the cosmic calendar. What happens then? Nothing great. Our solar system ceases to exist thanks to the death of the sun. So that's the entirety of our solar system's lifespan in two years of the cosmic calendar. But why not take it a step further? If our solar system lasted two years, how long would the universe last on the same timescale? On the cosmic calendar timescale, the dark era of the universe, a time when all black holes have evaporated, thrusting the universe into heat death, would occur at year 10 to the 100th power. That's a Google years, or one with 100 zeros after it. That's how long the universe will continue to hang around after we're all gone. From the terrifying scale of time itself to a much lighter and delightfully fizzy topic, clean your flutes and shine your sabers. It's time for a little champagne. Long before champagne, and sparkling wines in general, became a symbol of celebration and opulence, that sparkly, bubbly drink was actually frowned upon. Bubbles in wine is a sign the drink has continued to ferment inside of its bottle, 
something that was associated with spoiled, murky, undesirable wines. Up until the late 1600s, only a few wineries purposefully produced the fizzy drink. But non-uniform bottling and corking methods, combined with a general disdain for the wine, made for a somewhat unpopular product. When the century entered its later years, however, a surge in popularity was sparked by a handful of factors. Wines made in Champagne, as in the Champagne region of France, tended to fizz thanks to early frost that didn't allow the beverages to fully ferment during the manufacturing process. When spring brought warmer temperatures, the wines started to sparkle. Before the French got on board the fizz train, however, the sparkling wine was made popular by Georgian England. Barrels of the wine would be shipped there where the country's coal-fired glass-making industry could create much sturdier bottles. Fast forward to 1740, when standardized bottling and corking methods were introduced, and you had a drink that could be kept fizzy and sparkly for much longer than ever before. 75 years later, in 1815, a champagne producer called Widow Clicquot, that should sound familiar, developed a technique that helped increase the drink's popularity even more. Until that time, champagne's in-bottle fermentation left behind a cloud of dead yeast. Not exactly the most appealing aesthetic. To fix this issue, Widow Clicquot developed the remuage process, also called riddling. Bottles of champagne were turned upside down, allowing the yeast sediment to gather in the neck before being dipped into a cold brine where the undesirable murk would freeze into an easily removable chunk. Once that was taken out during disgorgement, the remaining liquid was sweetened and recorked. Bottles of champagne are still riddled today, although the process is largely automated. The pop while uncorking a new bottle of champagne is always fun, but if you want to get really fancy and possibly lose a finger or two, then look no further than the art of sabridge. Instead of just plucking the cork from the bottle like some pathetic commoner, sabridge involves using, well, a, a saber. The bottle of the champagne is cradled in one hand while the other is used to quickly slide the saber down its neck, popping off the cork and some of the bottle itself in one fell swoop. It's impressive, but where did the practice come from? None other than the hand in the waistcoat loving, Elba exiled, le petit caporel himself, Napoleon. Sabres were the weapon of choice for the general's cavalry, and after glorious victories, the army would indulge in bottles of bubbly. And let's face it, if you're holding a sword and a bottle of champagne, what are you going to do? Not slice it open? Champagne can get you drunk. That is for sure. But can it get you drunk faster than other drinks? There have been a handful of studies conducted by researchers over the years to determine if the fizz actually does what people claim. Oh, champagne? The bubbles go straight to my head. The answer? We really don't know. In some of the studies, results showed the bubbles might initially increase the rate at which the alcohol is absorbed by the body, but there weren't any conclusive findings. Even why the carbonation could accelerate absorption is up for debate. Some researchers think it could move the liquid through the stomach into the small intestine, where most alcohol is absorbed, quicker. But that process hasn't been replicated conclusively either. If the bubbles do actually get you drunker faster, the fizzy high is fairly short-lived. After about 45 minutes, that bubble rush is going to feel the same as if you threw back a glass of any other wine. So, as time ticks closer to 2021, thank God... 
be sure to raise a glass of bubbly to Zeptoseconds, the Cosmic Calendar, Remuage, Napoleon, and I don't know, friends or family or whatever. Here's to a better new year and many more refreshing six-packs to come. As always, stay thirsty. Can't get enough of these refreshing facts? There are three easy ways you can help support the show. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. Then, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Then, share the show with a friend. The more, the factier. Stay thirsty.